ever walked by a shelf in your local bookstore full of books wrapped in brown paper? They're blind dates with books, where you buy a book without knowing the title, the cover, or the author. It is a great way to discover new books you might never have picked for yourself. We are giving away five blind date books with executive editor Amanda Nelson. She will take a trip to her local indie in Richmond called Chop Suey and pick five at random off their shelves to mail to five random winners. To enter to win your own blind date with a book, go to bookriot.com slash blind date and sign up for our upcoming read this book newsletter, where we will send you a single solitary book recommendation once per week. That's bookriot.com slash blind date to enter or go see if your local indie participates with their own blind date shelves. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Kidlet These Days, a Book Riot podcast. Kidlet These Days is your Kidlet connoisseurs pairing the best of children's literature with what's going on in the world today. I'm Karina Yan Glazer alongside Matthew Winner, and we are here to have conversations that create opportunities for parents, grandparents, teachers, librarians, and all who love children's books to engage in the world through literature in a deeper and broader way. We are recording on September 29th, 2019. Matthew, I cannot believe that we are doing episode 15. Uh, it is wild to think that we've been doing this for months now, question mark. Yes. That's so wild. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's just flown by. I'm so excited. I love the ground we've covered, and I love getting to talk with you. We have talked more time on recording than you and I have ever talked in our lives together, so I've really gotten to know you over recording, Karina, and I love that. And also, congratulations, because you have a new book baby in the world, and that's a big deal. Yes, book birthdays. Yay! Yay! (laughs) Have you ever had any of the Vanderbeekers books, Blind Date? blind dated however you call that i don't know if you know that librarians we uh, we often do that for uh valentine's day i've wrapped books in um like uh grocery store bags and then put little valentine cards on them and kids, oh that's so cute it, it makes them check out all the books so fast <laughs> <laughs> wait <laughs> so do they fun. unwrap it and then check it out or how do you know no 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 the oh. rule is we leave the barcode uncovered. Oh. We have to be careful because sometimes it says the name of the book there. We leave the barcode uncovered um, or we write the barcode on the paper book. But I usually give like three words to give them a clue. Like, if you love mm, UFOs and action adventure and hot dogs, you'll love me. And it's <laughs> that intergalactic space weenies book or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I see something what you're like doing. that. that yep. it's, it's just a little, a little like the book talking to their true love, the reader. That's how we've always done it. And it's super cute. But the kids, like, as a librarian, it is very hard to wrap that many books because every blessed child in your school wants to check out a wrapped book. (laughs) That is so great. That sounds like a lot of work, too. That sounds like a lot of wrapping. (laughs) It's so fun, though, because the kids, they just remember it. Anyway, how has your time been, my friend, these past two weeks? Please tell me and others what you've been up to. Oh my gosh, it's been so fun. So the Vanderbeekers to the Rescue came out on September 17th, and my publisher, who is awesome, um, they sent me out for two weeks, and I did 
um, book festivals. I did the Brooklyn Book Festival, and I went to eight different states, and I felt like I was always, like, in the airport (laughs) heading somewhere else. (laughs) And I just got to meet so many readers, and so many of them had already known about the Vanderbeekers and were excited, and it was just really heartwarming for me because as an author, you know, a lot of times we're just, you know, at the library or at the coffee shop or at home writing and we're not getting that feedback and then you go out and then kids have like drawn pictures for me and made huge signs and have brought me cookies and one um one school had embroidered like all these gifts it was a Montessori school (laughs) and like they had embroidered the brownstones and made like sewn together this like pencil pouch and a bookmark and like a journal cover it was incredible I was just so amazed at how talented these kids were but it was really fun and I just had a great time I'm so happy for you living through your Instagram feed was (laughs) your joy seeing all of the children and also seeing you presenting to children which is also something I haven't gotten to see before I've seen you at book signings um, at like a book festival but not speaking in front of children. It just, there was a lot of joy there and that made me super happy. And all I got in the time you were away, other than great time with children, was getting sunburned at the beach when we took (laughs) one last trip this weekend. Uh, And my wife said, I didn't put on sunscreen and I didn't get burned. Why did you get burned? And she said, you must be really, really fair skin. Thanks, Aim. Thank you, love. I appreciate you pointing out how easily I burn. It was um, really warm this weekend, I have to say. You're very yeah, the sun was strong. <laughs> Let's, but rather than talking about my, my bright red legs, why don't you pass us off to the next sponsor? Yeah, so this episode is sponsored by HarperCollins Children's Books. Enter a world of intrigue and suspense in Margaret Peterson Haddix's newest book, The Remarkables. One minute they're there, laughing and having fun at the house next door. The next minute, the teens are gone, like magic. Marin can't believe her eyes. Who are they? Can anyone else see them? What makes them so happy? Marin's lonely in this new town of hers and eager to discover more. Then she meets Charlie, who reveals he knows about them too. He calls them the Remarkables. Charlie warns her to stay away from them and him. Charlie and Marin both have painful secrets they're holding on to, but could solving the mystery of the Remarkables help them both? Okay, so Margaret Peterson Haddix, she is just such a master <laughs> of suspense. Like, I read oh, this and, and I'm just like, yes. oh my gosh, I have to read this book. <laughs> yep, yeah. And and whatever the next five in the series are going to be. Oh, there's always I such just don't great even know how she writes so fast. I love that. Yeah, she like yep. just came out with a new series, The Strangers, which my daughters loved and I loved as well. So, I don't know, she's incredible. Anyways, we are talking about graphic novels today. Hooray! Oh yeah, talk about nerding out over books. We're going into dangerous territory with me and comics. I, think I feel my like students... we could have like five episodes on graphic novels. Oh yeah, novels. And maybe we will. But my, my students at this school, I've only been at this new school for five weeks, I think it's been four or five weeks with students, and they already could tell you that the two defining interests in, in Mr. Winner's life are video games and comics. And then they proceed that with <laughs> when are you getting more comics <laughs> when are you getting more um so a little context we want to talk about comics and give you listeners lots and lots of access to great 
comics and great resources for why comics and how to teach comics and how to read comics. We want to do our best to give you just a, a, a sampling of an insight into what makes these books so um, attractive to readers and so re-readable and such a great uh, platform for engaging in story. Um, I want to give a, a little bit of um, direction on where to go for great comics, though, if you're brand new to reading comics. Um, we have a great award called the Will Eisner Award. It's actually called the Will Eisner Comic Industry Award, um, shortened to the Eisner Awards. And those are uh, prizes given each year for creative achievement in American comics. Uh, they're like the comic industry equivalent of the Academy Awards, mm-hmm. and they're always given at Comic-Con in San Diego. And they're named in honor of the pioneering writer and artist, Will Eisner. Uh, they have children's categories and YA categories. Um, beyond that, though, there's not a ton of comics awards. Actually, if you go through state book lists, uh, state book awards, the Texas Maverick Graphic Novels Reading List has existed for a number of years. They also have a little Mavericks list, which is um, Texas Library um, Organization makes a list of here are outstanding graphic novels for teens to read or for children to read. In Maryland, we have the Black Eyed Susan Graphic Novel Award. The Black Eyed Susan Book Award in Maryland is a librarian-nominated student-selected book award. Many states do this. Maybe mm-hmm. Vanderbeekers has made some of these lists yep. where um, you have a, a selection of books. In this case, it's 10 graphic novels that are nominated and then our Maryland students, uh, public and private, independent, homeschool, whomever, anybody that lives in Maryland, can read these books and vote in April during School Library Month on their favorite. In Maryland, we have a picture book award, a grades four to six, a grades four to six graphic novel, a middle grade, a middle grade graphic novel, and a high school award. Hmm. Uh, and that's been running for, the graphic novel award has been running for about Mm, I want to say five years. I'm actually the founder of the Graphic Novel Award in our state. That's so so awesome, Matthew. (laughs) My my students in the different libraries I've worked in since founding that award um, have have been very aware of the robust graphic novel collections that we have because I really like to center comics, those being often the, the first place for kids to to start reading or find their identity as readers. But, you know, I was saying to you off recording that not not everyone grew up reading comics like I did or not everyone has grown to love comics like I know you have as well. You really love and are a great advocate for comics. Mm-hmm. So um, the Comic Book um, Legal Defense Fund, CBLDF, which we will link to in this podcast, is a great nonprofit organization that is working toward um, free speech rights in comics, mm. but also they have this robust set of library and educator tools that we'll link to that include resources such as adding graphic novels to your library or classroom collection, sort of an ongoing how-to, mm. uh, raising a reader, how comics and graphic novels can help your kids love to read, uh, using graphic novels in education. These are all printables um, that you can print from their website for free, or you can order printed and folded copies from them to distribute to your school or to your organizations. Uh, so this is a resource that we'll make sure we link to uh, because because we want to make sure that you understand comics so that you can help be an advocate for comics. Uh, and I guess one of the best ways to understand also is just to read comics. But 
what you're about to say, Karina. I was reading this note you're about to share and was blown away at just the impact that comics currently are having on readers. So I'm going I'm to step back and let you talk about some New York Times numbers. Yes. Okay. So Raina Telgemeier, the author of Smile and Sisters and Drama, um, she had a new book come out on September 17th. It's called Guts. And it is such a great book. And kids all over the world love her work. And I went to an event with her once and it was just totally mobbed. And it was just, it was a lot of kids really excited about Raina. <laughs> so um, her book just came out recently and we just got the numbers of how many books have sold. And Guts, her newest book, was the best selling book overall. In the entire United States, in the last week of September, it sold 76,216 units, um, which is the largest amount that week, and ahead of every other book, not just children's books, adult books, every, nonfiction, fiction, everything. Um, the, number two was Stephen King's The Institute, which sold almost 50,000 units. Um, so she was just... She just blew the second book out of the water. And then Dave Pilkey, to put that in comparison to um, another children's book, um, his book, um, The Latest Dog Man, For Whom the Ball Rolls, was at 44,863. Um, and his books, obviously, are just so massively popular. Um, so I was just fascinated by those numbers because, I mean, to to sell that many ahead of the second best-selling book in the U.S. by 26,000 copies was just really impressive. Um, and the other thing is there's been some exciting news because the New York Times, you know, they have their bestseller lists and they're so important for um, getting exposure to books and important to authors who can say that they're a best-selling author. And a couple of years ago, they changed their best-selling, their bestseller list to um, restrict the number of categories, but just recently they announced that they are bringing back a graphic books category, which is a great, great thing, and that will include adult books, children's books, fiction, nonfiction, anything that's in a graphic book format, and that right. list will begin on October 2nd online and October 20th in print, and they're also bringing back some other categories that were taken off but now are coming back on like middle grade paperback and middle grade white or I'm um, sorry young adult paper paperback will also be um, their own lists again which were taken off a couple of years ago but it's just very exciting because graphic books are such a huge part of reading and visual literacy and so many kids just love it so much like when I travel I book talk a lot of books and people, you know, these young readers everywhere are just so excited about graphic novels and comics and it makes me really happy because I feel like they're learning so much from these books. They're a way to get um, reluctant readers really excited about reading. They're great resources um, and there's really exciting creative things coming up in graphic novels and I'm really excited about that list. I mean, this number one book, Guts, is a graphic memoir. Yes. To know that memoir is what's outselling everything else is impressive. And before the New York Times got rid of the graphic novel um, bestseller list, 
it was not only very representative of Reyna's books, but also very representative of women in comics. I remember one of the most recent lists, seven out of the 10 in the top 10 were, were female cartoonists. So I think that that also is speaking for what is selling in the market. And I, I, I really, in a field that seems to have been for so many years dominated by male cartoonists, um, to have that representation is awesome. And certainly a list like the New York Times bestseller will help the public be aware of of who makes comics and will help children see themselves in that opportunity as well. Yes. And that being said, we're so excited because our, our guest today is Jen Wang. So her, excited. Yes. Oh my gosh, I love her book so much. So she <laughs> oh recently way. came out with a new book called Stargazing. And Jen Wang is a cartoonist. She's an author and illustrator living in Los Angeles. She's the author of the new book, Stargazing, which is for middle grade readers, as well as The Prince and the Dressmaker, which I believe is for, um, can be middle grade as well as YA. Another book she has done is Coco Be Good. She is the co-author of the New York Times bestselling graphic novel In Real Life with Cory Doctorow. Her work has also appeared in Los Angeles Magazine, The Believer, Hazlitt, Slate and McSweeney's. She has also written for the Adventure Times and the Lumberjanes comic series. She is the co-founder and organizer of the annual festival Comics Arts Los Angeles. Please welcome Jen Wang. All right, we are so excited to have Jen Wang with us today. Um, she is the author of a new middle grade graphic novel called Stargazing, which I absolutely loved. It's a story of an Asian American family, and they get new neighbors. And the main character, Christine, is sort of looking at her neighbor and um, trying to figure out how they're similar and how they're different, even though they're both Chinese-American. And Jen Wang is here with us today. And welcome, Jen. I'm so excited. Yeah. Hi, Karina. Hi. So I have some questions for you. Now, my first question is, all of the main characters in this graphic novel are Asian-American. And that's something that we haven't really seen in the mainstream graphic novel markets yet. So what was it like for you to create these characters? Um, yeah, it was fun. I mean, I kind of went into it um, knowing that I wanted to make a book that had um, main characters that were that were all Asian and that were interacting with each other. I thought that would be um, really interesting, uh, probably because I haven't really seen that a lot. Um, but also, you know, because I, I wanted this to be about kind of my own experiences um, growing up. Uh, I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like when you talk to a lot of um, kids of color, either they grew up um, where they were the only one uh, that was, mm -hmm. you know, like, um, like them at their school and their community, or um, there were many uh, because, you know, you sort of grow up in kind of maybe like an immigrant enclave or somewhere where there's just like a lot of, um, you know, diversity, but then that also mm -hmm. is um, sometimes kind of confusing, you know, cause then you are always sort of like trying to figure out where you fit in um, within kind of the broader kind of cultural um, kind of landscape um, in the country, mm -hmm. but then also within your very specific community, it's, it's, um it's so different. And so, uh, so I knew I kind of wanted to play around with that. And um, 
and so yeah, it was really fun because it was very familiar to me. <laughs> it was like stuff that mm-hmm. I, you know, I grew up with. So, um, so in that sense, it was very easy to to write about. Yeah. So you and I met earlier this year when we were both doing a book festival in Missouri, and we were at a signing table together, and it was so fun because we you know, there were a lot of similarities. We both grew up in Asian American households. We both grew up in California, even though I was down in Southern California. And um, I'm Chinese American. You're you as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So all of the Asian American, um, the just the influences of your book and just elements of culture were really compelling to me as a Chinese American. And there are all these little things in it. Like, for example, they had like their indoor slippers. And yeah, <laughs> if they wanted to go outside, you know, like they had to like run and get their outdoor shoes, even if it was, it was at like the other side of the house. Like those are things we totally did. And the main character, Christine, she is coming from a more conservative Chinese family. Um, they go to sort of what I what I perceived as a Chinese church, and they ate traditional Chinese food. And Christine, in the very beginning, plays the violin and is with all these other Asian American kids who are also playing um, instruments. And she has a recital and is at the church. And so all those little elements I recognized from growing up in an Asian American. Uh, culture in Los Angeles. And then your other main character, Moon, she's ethnically Chinese, but her life is really different. She's Buddhist. She doesn't eat meat. She doesn't play an instrument. She loves to dance to K-pop songs. So can you share a little about your own upbringing? Um, Do you relate to one of the characters over another and whether your own upbringing shaped those details in this story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think of um, Moon and Christine as like sort of two, they represent like two parts of my experience um, because I, I feel like it, mine was a mixture of both. Um, like I have, uh, you know, like a, a, a Chinese family that, um, you know, they, they were immigrants, they grew up in Taiwan. Um, you know, like there's a lot of those like kind of traditional hallmarks of, of that experience. Um, uh, you know, like my parents are pretty normal, <laughs> like Chinese mm-hmm. people. Um, uh, at the same time, um, you know, I think like there were things that were a little different about them. Um, they were Buddhist and we were vegetarian um, for a long time. So, so I was, um, th- I mean, they gave me a choice and I decided I wanted to be vegetarian too, because that sounded cool, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, so there were a lot of little things like that, um, that, that I felt a little different from a lot of the other Chinese kids um, kind of in my neighborhood and my community. Uh, and, you know, even though I was familiar um with a lot of those um uh, kind of the um the those other experiences because they were 
around me um, with all my friends, uh, even just like other relatives, you Mm -hmm. know, so like I'd been to, um, you know, like an Asian church, like I, you know, um, I also did, I played like piano when I was like a kid. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of like, yeah, yeah. so it's like, oh, yeah, like, I know what like a recital is like, and you know, and they're always in like an Asian church and stuff. And so like those things were like, it it was all a mix. Um, And I knew that, um, you know, in a lot of ways, it was easiest for me to identify with Moon, um, you know, because she's a little more, um, you know, like she's like the artist and she's a little more kind of, um, you know, like, I guess, like carefree, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, those other other aspects like being Buddhist and vegetarian and just feeling a little bit outsidery. But I felt like it was too easy for me to write from her perspective, I didn't want to judge uh, Christine, you mm-hmm. know, for being, uh, you know, maybe um, in, you know, from Moon's perspective, maybe just like a little more buttoned up or, you know, mm-hmm. a little more reserved. Um, so I felt like I, it was um, actually kind of healing for me to write from Christine's point of view. Um, the one that I would have, uh, you know, initially related to less, but I think, just being able to, to experience, um, you know, cause I also understood her experience, um, just kind of being able to live through her and why it's like, um, you know, why her experience is just as meaningful, um, and valid was actually, you know, um, really helpful because I, I felt like then I could really, um, treat both of them equally with like compassion and, and be able to fully represent both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Um, were there, did you talk to any childhood friends or just try to like to get into Christine's head? Did you talk to anyone to help you understand sort of that perspective a little more, or was it just something that you could just understand from empathy and having known so many people growing up? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot, I didn't really like interview anyone um, for research. I think a lot of it was just like my own memories of what, um, you know, those experiences were like, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's like I, um, because I think I would know people uh, and their parents, you know, so like I I knew who like, um, uh, you know, I there are people in my mind that I'm thinking of when I think of say like Christine's dad or her mom and, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, and, th- and they're all fictional. So it was also easy for me to kind of um, just come up with a character that I, that I, you know, feel like is their own individual, but then I can just kind of like um, uh, put those little uh, th- that, that context right. in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think the only thing I was like a little bit apprehensive about was just um, the fact that they're uh, at least Christine's family is like sort of like they're Christian and I didn't exactly have that experience, but, um, but I, I know a number of um, Asian Americans who, you know, they come from very religious households. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think just like uh, hearing about their experiences and, you know, what it was like for them growing up, just like in general, when we talk as friends, um, I think was like, kind of useful in, in, uh, feeling that out. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I love those elements of the story where you have the girls dancing and uh-huh. <laughs> that, was that really fun to draw? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I think I always like, um, it's like, I, I can't, it's not an animation, uh-huh. but yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think I, you know, I think of it in that way a little bit because you can still, um, you know, bring this idea of movement and, you know, and like joy to, to a drawing. So I think those were probably some of the most fun, uh, parts of drawing the book yeah that (laughs) they're just so adorable (laughs) the two girls um how do you how do you capture that energy do you have a mirror that you like try doing the poses and then and then translate that onto the page or do you look at videos how does how do you do that uh I guess for the dancing stuff I might just like watch some videos there's like so many you know, like K-pop like <laughs> dance videos available. And, um, and even just like people, um, I feel like on like Instagram, there's so many like dancers who will just film themselves, yep. uh-huh. you know, pulling off a routine. And so I watched a lot of those uh-huh. and, um, sometimes I would pause a little bit and be like, Oh, like that's kind of a good pose. But, um, a lot of times it's just like watching the video and like trying to, uh, like capture that energy that like, I'm, I'm, feeling when like when I see them uh-huh. dance so um yeah so I think it, it's like a combo of just like trying to feel it out uh-huh. <laughs> and uh and just like watching videos yeah well yeah because I could not <laughs> I am not that dexterous I would not be able to pull that off in the mirror oh, you're not gonna post <laughs> your dance videos on Instagram <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. well yeah those dance scenes in the book are so fun and I wanted to ask you a little bit about the graphic novel market for middle grade because it has just exploded. Books like Smile by Raina Telgemeier, Roller Girl by Victoria Jameson, El Defo by Cece Bell. There's been so many that have been incredibly popular. What do you think draws middle grade readers to books with this format? And what was it like for you to write a middle grade book after writing for a slightly older audience? Um, I think, um, as far as the middle grade audience, like, I think just like, I think kids just love comics, like, and that's always been kind of true. Um, I think there's just something about the visuals, which are, you know, really compelling, but also like, I feel like we're really drawn to faces and, you know, emotions and expressions. And I think those are all things that, um, you know, like attached to a story is very powerful, you know, like we're used to looking at maybe still images and they're, they're still pretty interesting. But once you have like, you know, you're reading smile and, and, you know, like Raina's feeling sad and you can see mm-hmm. it in her face, you know, and then you know why, because you read, you know, the last chapter where like this, like, you know, bad thing happened to her. And I, I think that's just like, um, you know, I think we're just kind of built to care you know, about Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, like, you know, the, the emotions of these like kind of cartoon characters. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and with like these really compelling stories, I think it's just like, it's, it's kind of irresistible, um, whether you're a kid or, or an adult, but, you know, I think especially if it's aimed at, you know, your experiences and like what you might be feeling at that age, um, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just like, like, uh, why wouldn't you love <laughs> reading mm-hmm. comics? So, um, 
And as far as like writing for a younger audience, um, I was initially a little intimidated because I thought, um, you know, I had read, uh, you know, um, books by, by Raina and, and Cece and stuff, but I, I was still kind of imagining that like, um, you know, for a middle grade book, like, I'm like, does that mean I have to write? (laughs) Does that, you know, that's not really my style. Um, you know, like, well, they think it's funny if there's not enough, like, you know, like people falling down Uh in it. Um, but I ended up, uh, you know, just, I think like if I just thought about, um, what my experiences were like at that age and, you know, it helped because the characters were, you know, they're like, uh, Moon and Christine are in fifth grade, um, and I just thought a lot about, you know, my friendships at that age and like kind of what my, what my, um, emotions were and like the things I, I was thinking about. And, and that I think just like kind of made it easy because then, um, I'm, all I have to do is just be really honest about, you know, uh, mm-hmm. what I was going through. So, um, and that ends up kind of translating. I think I, that was, um, I, I worried a lot in the beginning, but, once I started writing, I was like, wow, this is like, um, in a way more challenging than writing for, uh, say like the Prince and the Dressmaker, which is a, mm-hmm. a fairy tale, you know? So in some ways that's like easier to conjure because it's all about kind of the fantasy and, you know, the, the kind right. of like the glamour, <laughs> um, and stargazing is all about these like, you know, kid feelings that you don't really know how to put into context yet. And, um, you know, and I, I think at the end, it, you know, it's, uh, um, I didn't really have to think too hard about like, what right. the kids like it, you know, because <laughs> it's like, it's just a, it's just like a little time capsule, even though it's fictionalized of like, what, what I was thinking about mm-hmm. at that t- at that age. Yeah, so my daughter is 11. I have two daughters and my older one is 11. And there are just so many emotions happening every day. Like every moment yeah. there's multiple emotions. And I think you're right about the graphic novels. Being able to visually see emotions I think is really helpful and very intriguing for them to – to read a book that is so honest about how things feel at different moments and feelings of belonging or feeling ostracized or feeling confident in yourself or feeling ashamed. And I think all of that came across in your book. Um, So I have one last question for you, and this is about adults. So there are some adults out there who didn't grow up reading graphic novels and might have misunderstandings about them. Like they might think that graphic novels aren't real literature or they want to sort of point their kids or students toward more traditional books. Now you and I both know that graphic novels belong in our libraries and on our bookshelves, but how would you respond to someone who is worried about their kids or students reading them? Um, you know, like, I I think like, um, for, for adults, um, it's very, it is very hard because it's, um, a lot of adults still have trouble reading comics if they try now. Um, you know, it's like, it's just, maybe it's like a little slower for them because they, um, you know, they're not used to word bubbles and like where things are supposed to go. But, um, I feel like it's, uh, I feel like for a lot of kids, um, they're so used to 
like visuals now um, and like visual literacy is like so much higher because, you know, we're constantly, we're on the internet, we're looking at, you know, we're scrolling through things all the time. And that's actually, you know, like they're able to gain a lot of information that way. Um, You know, as I was saying before, like with things like emotions and like, I think, you know, a lot of what we learn is, um, is like how to, like read each other's body language and read each other's, you know, facial expressions and what that means, even though we're not saying mm-hmm. what we really feel. Um, and I think that's very powerful. Um, I, I think I, I've, I've heard about uh, uh, educators using graphic novels to um, as like a, a way for, you know, um, like, you know, autistic kids to be able to like sort of understand um, like feelings and emotions and like context more. And I think those are all things that, you know, like anybody, um, you know, would, would like, uh, would be able to, to really gain from just, uh, you know, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of things that Mm -hmm. we don't say out loud and a lot of things that aren't, um, aren't very, it's all very context related. And so I think that's where graphic novels and comics are very powerful. Um, is that, you know, just like in reality, a lot of things are unsaid. Um, a lot of things you need to sort of be able to pick up. Um, and I think, you know, like there is, um, you know, it may not be, uh, reading, um, like a prose novel in the same way, because, you know, maybe it's like faster, maybe it's, you know, there's a lot more visuals, but I think, you know, the bottom line is all these stories are their stories and they're still about empathy and about, you know, Mm -hmm. um, learning to be compassionate (laughs) and, you know, being able to, to sort of see through a different character's eyes. So I think those are all the same and you can have very, lengthy, meaningful discussions um, with kids about things that happen in graphic novels in the same way that you would um, a prose novel. So, uh, you know, they are different mediums, like they aren't exactly the same, obviously, but that, that just means that, you know, we have a richer, you know, sort of like body of literature out there um, where you can have books like Smile and El Defo and, you know, and then they can also, right, yeah. you know, still read Harry Potter. And like those yeah. are like, you know, those are both good. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on Kidlet these days with me. And we're just so excited about this book and so excited for kids to read it and explore it and talk about it. And congratulations, Jen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the show. This episode is sponsored by Starscape, the proud publisher of Freeing Finch by Ginny Rorby. Freeing Finch is the inspiring story of a transgender girl who overcomes adversity to find love, home, and a place to belong. Living with step-parents who don't understand her, Finch relies on the support of her neighbor, Maddie. Soon Finch learns how to trust and how to find the courage to be herself. Check out Freeing Finch by Ginny Rorby, available wherever books are sold. 
Karina, it is that time. Time yes. to talk comics. Ooh. I'm going to start us off with comics for younger readers, and then you'll take us into our um, our upperclassmen, if you will. Uh, <laughs> there's so many good comics coming out now. We're, we're so blessed to be in a time of great comics. Um, one of some of the books that are catching my attention and, uh, I'm loving reading with my young children are Tiger versus Nightmare by Emily Tetri. This is a story about, uh, a tiger who is afraid of, of what lurks in the night. And, and there's, a a second character that sort of protects Tiger and says, I'll always make sure you're safe while you sleep. But then the nightmare becomes overpowering. So it's a, a, a story of finding strength in ourselves. It's beautifully, beautifully illustrated. And I think really speaks to the medium of graphic novels as a storytelling medium. Uh, and it reads really quickly and is just creepy enough that your five, six, seven year old will really dig it. The next I want to share is the second in the series. The series is fantastic. Peter and Ernesto, The Lost Sloths is book two. It's by Graham Annabelle. And it is about these two hapless sloths that are trying to find their way around the world. In the first book, (laughs) the sloths um, are separated. One wants to go out on an adventure to see the world and the other feels alone without his friends. So he goes out to find the other sloth and the characters they encounter and the humor that's wrapped into it is perfect for reading to young children. My four-year-old, my daughter, she actually likes when I tell her what words one of the two characters is saying so that she can repeat, read them. So in that way, we're reading the story together. Super sweet. And the panels are nice and large. Uh, sometimes only three panels per page. So it uh, really gives you a close-up view of the art. That's Peter and Ernesto, The Lost Sloths. The third I want to share is an ongoing series with exceptionally rendered art. It's called The Dam Keeper. It's by Robert Kondo and Dice Tsutsumi. And uh, the short of this story is that The Dam Keeper is about a dam that holds back the mist from a town. Um, and this mist is sort of ever present and ever pervasive. And, um, one day the dam and the windmill that keeps the mist back stops and the one main character's dad goes out to, to fix it and disappears. So these kids go out to try to try to solve this mystery and the suspense in it, in, in just the world unknown beyond the wall is exceptional. And it's a series that I, I I almost hope never ends. It's so beautifully uh, painted and the sense of adventure in these, these three main characters that we follow, uh, a fox, a pig, and a hippo is just amazing. I love the, the yeah, it's so great. Have you ever seen Studio Condo's Instagram page where they're showing different animations? It feels very much to me like there's going to be a damn keeper movie. Yes, I really hope they do that. It, it feels like in the on the page that things are glowing. Yes, it's just very beautiful, very the, beautiful. The art. work they do with with light, just the rendering with the light is 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 exceptional. Mm-hmm. It's again one of those to to have a testament to what comics are today. There's just almost no better example than to look at the Dam Keeper, something that works for adults reading as well as children. And my kids like to read that book over and over and over all three in the series. The third book return from the shadows just came out. Mm-hmm. Um, three other books I want to highlight super quickly are Mr. Wolf's class, 
by Aaron Nels Stenke. This is a series of um, a teacher in a multi multiracial. They're all different animals. I don't actually know how to describe that, but it, but the way the animals interact with one another speaks to identity. It's really beautiful and really funny story. Um, and each chapter uh, focuses on a different character as the book series goes on. Really feels like uh, the author gets what it means to be a teacher. Good to fall into that. Also, if you haven't read the Laser Moose series, that's one of the funniest books I've ever read, Doug Savage. Um, and I, I, I would be remiss to talk about children's comics without mentioning Hilda, that wonderful, wonderful Hilda series by Luke Pearson that um, was made into a Netflix series as well. And now um, the next book continues beyond the Netflix series, Hilda and the Mountain King. So um, yeah, lots of comics to check out. How about you, Karina? What are you reading in middle grade stuff? All right. Well, this book has gotten a lot of great praise, so hopefully you've heard of it already. It's called New Kid by Jerry Craft. I know you have read it, right, Matthew? It's it's beautiful, and the way it speaks to the situation I'm in right now, being in an independent school and questioning diversity, yes. is ama- amazing, the way this book centers that. Yes, so this is a book about Jordan Banks, who is um, going into seventh grade, and he loves art and was hoping to get into or to attend a prestigious art school but instead his parents decide that he should go to a very highly esteemed private school. Now Jordan lives in Washington Heights in New York City um, which is sort of um, the upper part of Manhattan and to go to the school he has to go into Westchester, um, a very wealthy area of Westchester. So he is sort of questioning different things that he's seeing and also looking at diversity it's also just super funny like it's just you know he goes into the first day of school and he's talking about all the first day of school zombies like all these all these other (laughs) students who are just so exhausted from waking up early after you know a whole summer of sleeping in and you see them sort of like um wandering around the streets with zombie eyes so it's really really good it's got five-starred reviews it was recently announced to be a finalist for the kirkus prize so i'm very excited about that one um the next book is called this was our pact by ryan andrews and just like in the dam keeper um that matthew just talked about this one is a very um it's very movie-like, like you can see it being in a movie. So the story goes that it's the night of the annual Autumn Equinox Festival, and the town always gathers, that there's this tradition that they gather, and they float these um, paper lanterns down the river. And then the legend is is that when the paper lanterns go down the river, um, when they get to the end, they soar off to the Milky Way and become stars. Now, the... Um, a lot of the kids in the town want to see this happen. So they all get on their bikes and they all decide that they're going to go all the way down and follow these paper lanterns until they become stars. And then only two of them end up um, following through. The rest of the kids are heading back home and you see these two kids just alone. And then lots of strange things happen. So very, very beautiful. I love that book. It made me cry. Beautiful book. It goes into, like, the world of Hilda. It goes into just the world of the surreal. It's amazing. 
Yeah, it's really, really great. All right, so the next one, I talked about it in our band book section, so I'll just briefly mention it just to remind you to put it on your list. It's called Go With The Flow by Lily Williams and Karen Sheenman, and it is such a great book. I love it so much, Um, and it just talks about um, the beginning of high school and how this group of girls are so different, and they talk about periods, which is something that I think really needs to be talked more in in middle grade and YA literature. Um, the next one I want to talk about is the crossover graphic novel by Kwame Alexander, art by Daywood Anya Biwale, and this is okay. So a lot of us know the crossover, um, which won the Newbery. And this is an adaptation, and we're seeing a lot of these in books, and I think we're going to do an episode about graphic novels that are made from classic books. But just put this on your list. Um, This is, I believe it's coming out in October. Um, It might be already out by by the time this episode airs. But it's great. The illustrations are just wonderful. The art is just fantastic. So definitely check that out. And I just wanted to mention briefly that there are a bunch of new books out that you might be familiar with, maybe the first one in the series. So um, the graphic novel Real Friends, which is written by Shannon Hale, illustrated by Lewin Pham. There is a follow-up. It's called Best Friends, and that just came out, I believe, in August. And it's really great, and it just continues on the story about it's a really complicated dynamic that is friendship in middle school. And it, I think it just deals with the with the whole situation very honestly and beautifully. And I think a lot of young readers will relate to it. And then for those of you who had listened to the bonus episode of Kill It These Days by the hosts of Book Riot Sci-Fi Book Podcast, SFF Yeah, um, you might have remembered that they book-talked Sanity and Tallulah by Molly Brooks. And there is a new one um, out, and it's really, really great. And so there's a second one. I'm not sure she's doing more, but there is a second one in that series, and it's super fun, and I think you'll like it. So put it on your list. Nice. Yay, comics. Go read all the comics. Yes, read all the comics. So good. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us. Maybe we'll do more episodes on graphic novels and comics. But for now... We would love your feedback on this podcast and always appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts. When you do that, you also help other people find us. You can find me, Karina Yan Glazer, on Twitter at Karina Yan Glazer and on Instagram at Karina is reading and writing. And you can find me, Matthew Winner, on Twitter at Matthew Winner. If you have a story idea, reach out to us on social media using hashtag KidLitTheseDays or email us at KidLitTheseDays at BookRiot.com, including if you want us to copy more comics from the, from here moving forward. Whatever topics um, you are sharing, we are listening to and we are making note of so that we can consider them for upcoming shows. We would love to hear what you're thinking about and what you would like to see, so please do share. May your coming days be storied, and may those good stories keep on coming.